With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus, get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Exclude sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast. Introducing your host, the Mayor John Hovan and DP Dennis Bernstein. Buckle up! Here we. Go! Kings of the podcast, Q6, quarantine six. six. That's the episode, DB. Yeah. You're keeping track. I know. <laughs> it's good, though. I'll feed you the information. Yes, you and do. We'll just, we'll I just trust. Keep... It's about trust, John. You know that. <laughs> There's a lot of trust between the two of us. Yeah. I am excited for today's episode. DB, I don't know. I say it every episode because... Right. I only book guests that we're going to enjoy talking to, right? We don't totally. Just, we don't just look for random guests just no. to fill in on a Tuesday afternoon. We we're, just won't do content. No, we'll just we, wait. We, so we wait until we have these people that we want to talk to. We have questions for Mike Fuda. Obviously, spent a long time with the LA Kings. Uh, he's going to join us in the second intermission. Yeah, special guy to both of us, obviously, uh, over the time that we've gotten to know him. Uh, you know, it's no longer with the organization, but uh, I'm sure he'll have some yarns to spin about uh, his time in Los Angeles. Well, he was there for almost 15 years, right? Uh, more wow. than 13 years with the organization. But check this out, DB. Yeah. October 14th, 1967, the LA Kings played their very first regular season game. It happened to be in Long Beach because the forum was right. still being built. But nonetheless, October 14th, 1967, the LA Kings are officially born. Two weeks later, October 28th, 1967, Mike Fuda was born. So there's a little little thing there. Uh, interesting. He, uh, For those that don't know about uh, Mike Fuda too much, uh, he, of course, played some uh, university hockey at uh, York University. He also, what I think a lot of people don't know, he was an assistant coach in the OHL right. as well as an actual head coach. coach right. So he was with uh, St. Mike's for a while. He was with the Oshawa Generals. Of course, his more common tenure in the uh, OHL was when he was the executive of the year with Owen Sound. Yep. This is also where he had Trevor Lewis, where he had Wayne Simmons. He had a number of different players. And Mike Stuthers, who later became the coach in Ontario, and well, first Manchester and then Ontario, yes. was his coach there. He, uh, uh, Stutz was coach of the year. And then as the co-director of amateur scouting, uh, when he was brought in to work alongside Mark Yanetti, I'm sure we'll be getting into that during the interview, uh, their very first pick was the Thomas Hickey pick in 2007. That has largely been said to be a Dean Lombardi pick. <laughs> For those that don't know, the general managers typically weigh in a little heavier right. on the first round pick. And then right. the scouting staff typically picks the rest of the draft. It's not to say that the scouting staff doesn't have input into the first round pick because they right. do all the work year of round. They're, they're on the road and they're gathering all of the information. Uh, but that's typically where sort of Dean would have had a vote at, uh, as well uh, in, in the process. At least he had a seat at the table, John? <laughs> somebody had a seat at the table. Uh, so that was the Thomas Hickey, Oscar Moeller, Wayne Simmons, uh, Alec Martinez, Dwight King draft. A lot of great picks coming out of 2007. 2008, 
uh, Drew Doughty. And of course, I've told this story many times. Uh, from everything that I've gathered through the years, I'm convinced the Kings were all in on Drew Doughty, whether they had the first One or, or the second pick. Mm -hmm. It was Drew Doughty. They were never taking Steven Stamkos. Colton Tubert, that's a different first round pick. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk with Blake about that. Uh, Voinoff, Andrew Campbell, uh, Loktianov, some other uh, highlights there from 2008. The 2009 pick brings its own interesting story. Braden Shin was taken with the uh, first round selection, number five overall. And then Kyle Clifford, uh, culture-defining pick there at number two. And uh, you may have heard me tell the story on a previous podcast from, again, from what I understand, DB. Uh, the Kings had offered to trade all of their other remaining picks in that draft, which would be a third-round pick, two-fourths, a fifth, two-sixths, a two-sevenths, seven-round picks. And it even offered to throw in another pick from the following year to move into that second round that year. The only thing that they refused to part with in that draft was number 35, which was the Kyle Clifford pick. They right. were not moving that. But can you imagine? That would have been fantastic if they would have <laughs> traded all of their other picks to go after one player. Uh, that there. must have been some player. <laughs> uh, Ryan O'Reilly is well, what. Okay. Uh, sorry, I have a bad cough or a sneeze, okay. something like that. I don't know. But anyway, moving on. Uh, two, <laughs> 2010 was the draft in Los Angeles. Derek Forbert, that comes again with his own story. Right. Uh, when you trade up to, to get him. Man, you left Charlie Coyle on the table. I won't beat uh, I won't beat up Foots for that, but that's always the one that Charlie Coyle. You're not bringing up the one guy. Come on. Uh, well, you're not going to bring up Tarasenko. Come on, up, no, it's Come fine. On. I mean, everybody has the player they wish they would have. I knew they weren't taking Tarasenko, so Tarasenko wasn't. Uh, how do I say this? Was it on their radar? He, he, Tarasenko was not available to them at that pick. It was not an option for Los Angeles. Okay. So let's just move on from there. Sure. Of course, Tyler Toffoli in the second round, uh, and then. Uh, Kevin Gravel, who, I, who uh, I I just retweeted something last week about him as well. We'll see if he can. You now, can I back. bring up something about Toffoli we haven't had on the rundown here? Pilates, uh, Pilates one, but <laughs> number two. That, the, so now the, you know there's a rumor going around they're going to trade Brock Bezer, great Canucks, to make room for Tyler Toffoli. Okay, well then, was that would is that a move you would make? No. Okay. If I, not, if I was Vancouver, right? No, no. I believe okay. in I believe in homegrown Home, players yes. and grooming and developing them and making making them uh, you know part a core part of your culture. Culture, right? So, exactly. But I, so I will say this: I don't have any information, so I'm not I'm not alluding this is you to something. Speaking, right. Yeah, I'm just saying that is interesting to me. Why would you be willing to move right. Brock Besser? What What do yeah. they know that we don't know? Right. What are they not sold on that the rest of the world is? That's yeah. a very interesting thing to me. So uh, 2011 was the Christopher Gibson uh, draft. That's also Andy Andrioff and Nick Shore and this Michael Mersh and Joe Lowry. And play in the those period. are some darker times because the they Kings are. the Kings are starting to become more successful in those years and it becomes harder sure. really to make picks um, at that point. But man, you look at where uh, where the prospect pool is at now. We've talked about that a lot. The pool's flooded, John. It, it, it's, it's, it's too full. People exactly. don't want to hear this, but some of those prospects are going to need to end up getting traded right. uh, for some other assets. That's a great way. thing. It is a to great have thing. that conversation about this organization having too many prospects. Too many prospects have to trade them. It's wow. even a weird thing to say out loud. You have too many prospects, yeah. right? It's just strange. Yeah. But um, as we talked about in one of our previous podcasts, you do have contract limits, and you also yeah. have. I mean, there are only so many people you can play at center too. DB, you're going right. to have to move some guys <laughs> to wing. I mean, or move them to defense. Uh, which is what Akil Thomas told us on a recent podcast <laughs> exactly. as well. So who knows? Maybe maybe Bjornfoot is not the guy to pair with Dowdy. Maybe it's Akil Thomas. Thomas. That would be great, right? Yeah, sure. Enough of us. More Mike yes. Fudo, less of us, and more of, of our guests, DB. Let's uh, take a break here. We'll come back on, on the other side of it. Mike Fuda will join us. He said, will you defeat them, you demons, and all the non-believers, the plans that they have made. 
Second period, Kings of the Podcast, DB, uh, we've been waiting to get this guest on for a while here. Forever. Well, yeah, for a while, <laughs> uh, and it's finally happening. So, Mike Fuda, Foots, welcome to the show. Kings of the Podcast, how are you? Thanks, gentlemen. 13 years. Yes. I, I told 13 you. Years Lucky life. 13. <laughs> well, it took a while to track down his phone number was the problem. So, uh, <laughs> we, we have located you. Uh, we almost found you in New Jersey. Just, I mean, I don't mean to start with a sore spot, but uh, it's like a weird thing. Do we congratulate you for being part of the process? And it almost happened, uh, according to reports. What can you tell us about the the interview uh, process that you recently went through with New Jersey? Uh, well, it was quite a unique one, actually. I mean, obviously, the world's in a crazy spot right now with not being able to travel and see people face-to-face. But uh, shortly after my um, departure from the Kings, I received a call from the Devils, um, Scott. It was it was a great call, and he said that uh, they were interested in talking to me about the general manager's position, and they ex- described a process to me that would start with a kind of two hours with a orthology slash headhunting group, and if I got through that, I would go to the CEO, and then on to the, one of the presidents, and then on to if you, if you get to the end, you'd end up meeting with the ownership group and it, it went over about five weeks. I mean, they're all zoom calls. They're exceptionally, I thought the questions, it was, it was a lot of fun. Well, first of all, anytime you get a chance to talk hockey, when you haven't been able to talk hockey and talk about your experiences, good, bad, and different, it was, it was a tremendous process. They had told me it was down to myself and another gentleman and, and Fitzy. The, the first thing when New Jersey called me, I called Fitzy immediately um, because I did not want any kind of thought that I was coming in the back door trying to cut somebody's, off and uh and he was very respectful we had a great hockey talk and uh I, you know i went through the process and i think the longer it dragged and i guess dragged on is a fair word because of the pandemic uh obviously you get to get excited you get i mean oh man it's just you know out of this these tough times are going to come a real bright light here and i was getting a lot of support i'd done a real good job of keeping it out of the media that i was that far down the road with them but there's also a party that's like Finchie's an incredible hockey guy and that's a, a long time to have an interim tag on you not knowing where you stand or where you fit. So uh, some pe- I guess your competitive side is you want the job, and, and again, uh, but there's also a side of it that a really good hockey person was rewarded, and, and I mean, yeah, those must have been some tough nights for him having that tag on for so long. So uh, unfortunately, it, it didn't pan out. Um, I've had some great hockey calls, uh, but as I said, when you guys talked, it's like uh, when there's no hockey being played, uh, it's not a lot. There's not a lot of opportunities open right now, so just have to be patient and positive. And again, it was a, it wasn't a great call to get from New Jersey, but it was a great process to go through and to know that some of the names that they felt that I had uh, kind of outlasted in the process was pretty positive. Without dwelling on it too much, I think there's a lot of interest from people that that don't know a lot about the process. You've been through it several times now. You've talked with several teams. Can you maybe compare and contrast the some of the different interviews, like what? without naming specific teams or people, but what, what would be some of the differences between or even commonalities between those interviews uh, for, for different positions across the league? Because every team, I would imagine, has a different philosophy and a different approach to not only interviewing, but even just about hockey in general. Uh, and that's a great question, Mayor, but it's funny because, I mean, there's a lot out there, and I know that was probably one of the sore spots with Lakey about how many times that I've gone through the process. And, the reality of it is there's, there's different phases. Under Dean Lombardi, the process went something like this. I'd walk in. I would sit down. The person across the table would pull out a letter saying, we can't hire you. <laughs> and then we'd oh, sit there God. and talk about hockey. <laughs> so there goes that process. I mean, it was, and I wanted to go through that experience, but 
Uh, Dean, I think, and I look at, I look back at it, it was probably one of the ultimate signs of respect uh, for Dean because he didn't he did not want me going anywhere, and uh, and it was basically you sit down and you go over your history. You go, I mean, a lot of times uh, people get accused of sitting down with people because they want to find out. You know, we were obviously having some incredible success with the Kings and, and Dean's development strategies. So you go to these little process where guys are trying to pump you for information, but you know, it's a humbling thing. I mean, to sit across from Brandon Shanahan, I mean, the one day I was, I, the first one was funny because Brian Burke wanted to talk to me in Calgary and, and he said uh, he was going to put my name out there for the Buffalo job because nobody knew who the hell I was. So I was going to go in and then at least my name would be out there. And then when he called my name in Calgary, he wanted a spot to speak to myself and in Trelleving. He goes, then at least people are going to know who you are. And I, I flew back to meet with Buffalo and I'm in a restaurant that's completely empty sitting across from Pat LaFontaine. And I end up, I mean, it was down to myself and Tim Murray. And I was like, Holy smokes. Like Berkey's like, you better be careful. You're going to get the job. And I'm like, <laughs> and here I was. And I think at that time, that's where Dean was like, okay, let's, let's, this has gone on too long. Let's get your name out of here and let's get back to work. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, you know, always when these things happen, you know, I guess the nature of it is you get pulled in, you usually get a different title, uh, a little bit more money um, and, and more responsibility. And I think that was a, it's an incredible process. There's some of that I've gone into. I mean, I've obviously went into one. I was offered the job, but it just wasn't a good fit. Uh, it wasn't a good fit. I mean, that was with a, you know, it was hilarious because I had like a seven hour conversation with, with the owner. And then the next day he kind of said, well, I'm going to give you the weekend to think about this. And then I got a call from Blakey that he was flying in from Los uh, and he's meeting me at the Manhattan Strand Post for dinner tomorrow night. And I'm like, wow, that's, that was a fun weekend to think about things. And, uh, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable at the time uh, where, where, where that opportunity was going to take me. And I mean, I think that speaks, to, I guess, when you get down, we talk about loyalty and stuff. I, I, I would call into account anybody that questioned my loyalty to the Los Angeles Kings because I had an opportunity to, to leave and I didn't do that. And I, and I stuck around and, and they're, they're really like, this one was really in-depth questions about your, you know, your, your positives, your, tell us some about your biggest failures. I mean, uh, talk about your mentorship. Uh, your development program, your uh, your your insight into the draft, and some of the different strategies and stuff, without giving away the secret sauce or whatever. Everybody's got their own thing. Your thoughts on analytics—it's a great thing. I mean, it gives me a chance as well to you know throw some huge accolades at guys like Marcinetti, who uh, and, and just when you start to think about what an incredible group we have in Los Angeles, it's it's the same thing. And I we, I I said it got to a point when Dean had so much trust in myself and. and yanked that we would just like literally go into rinks and be say we got that guy we're gonna get this guy and then we know the development team can fix this 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 and this and it was just such a synergy and a relationship that we had forged that it was it was great stuff but again you want to you want to have success at that uh, I, that, that's obviously my ultimate goal but i mean my also goal is to get a job in hockey again here and get and get moving and i think uh, my resume humbly speaks for itself in a chance that i i bring a lot of positives to the table and I've had a lot of positive experiences with Los Angeles and, and not just experience, but success. Well, I think over the course of this uh, conversation, we're going to look back on a lot of that. Uh, but just to sort of stick in L.A. for a brief moment here, uh, high and low. If you, I mean, it's a long time you were in L.A. Is it too easy to say, if I ask you, what was the highest moment for you in L.A.? What was the lowest moment? Is the highest moment simply the cup and is the lowest moment simply departing? Or is that too simplistic and there actually would be other things? Oof. Too many high, like too many highs to mention. We'd have to book a few shows. Uh, we'll do it. When are you I available? Think the pro- 
Well, there's the price. Well, there's the price factor. First of all, I mean, I, I, it's a little. It, it isn't a little thing. First of all, obviously, when the hand, when you're a kid growing up in Toronto, and all of a sudden you're on the ice, and I mean, I think Bailey was escorting me onto the ice, and sometimes I knew that. I knew that uh, Bailey. I won't give his real pseudo code name, but he was <laughs> yelling at me, and I'm like, and I remember him yelling at me, and I'm like, you're not allowed to talk. And <laughs> he was. <laughs> I go, you're breaking every rule. I said, that's why that, that's why that friggin' orange thing in Philly is always going to be a top notch guy because he doesn't speak. Oh, but Bailey's yelling at me. Shots fired. There you go. There's my shot at Gritty. There's my Gritty shot. But so, anyways, Bailey's yelling at me to get on the ice, and he's basically shoulder blocking people to get me out to the ice on our first cup. And then, they, I mean, they handle the Stanley Cup, and you're going through your mind. You're like, oh my god, am I going to be able to pick this up? Like, I'm not a big weightlifter, anyways. But I said, how embarrassing is this going to be if I can't pick it up? And then it's like it's a feather. It's literally. You can chuck the thing around. You're you're on a cloud, and I mean, mm-hmm. and then I guess to look around at the time, um, and see Trevor Lewis and Brad Richardson and these guys that you had in junior hockey and Drew Doughty, and you're like, wow, this is surreal. Like this is surreal. And then you wonder if you're ever going to do it again. And I obviously at the time I just gone through divorce, and I saw all these people with these wonderful families on the ice, and I was kind of like hanging out with Bailey, I think. And then uh, we're like. Second time around, my parents were on the ice, and I mean, I, I only wish it could only been better if my daughters were on the ice with me as well. But I mean, when they hand you that cup and you can look at your your mom and dad, and and uh, it's surreal. It's, it's you can't you can't. I guess that would be the highs. Um, sitting in the last table uh, at the draft, I remember I used to joke when we started out. Everybody would go, God, you got good seats at the draft, and I'm like, you don't want good seats at the draft. <laughs> you don't want to have like a first down and then you hit the airbending, right? And it's like it's, it's that. And, and I think as we grew as a group, we got further back. And I remember just sitting there with Ian and Yank and and the group and saying, we got a long walk. This is a long walk, and it's the great. And that's one of the greatest feelings when you're in that table thirty, and you've got to make that walk because you've earned that you've earned that right mm-hmm. to make that distance longer and. And it's just, it's such a grind, it's such a process. But I, I think those are probably, I mean, on, I mean, they're endless. And the negative is an easy one. You got it. You nailed it. When it ends. So I mean, it's uh, and that's the part of it. And I've said, and it's not a, it's not an easy day. I don't think there's a. They can say there's no easy way to do it, but I do believe there's a classier way to do it. And I thought after 13 years, I deserved more than 30 seconds in a three-line tweet. And that was probably the biggest kick in the stones of the thing. Not that it was coming, because I think you could see that. You know, my relationship with Blakey wasn't where it needed to be. Uh, I think I think there's fault on both sides, but irrelevant. He's the boss. Um, and I use the analogy that uh, you put a line together. Like when you put lines together in training camp, you think these two guys should be just be able to play together and they're going to have chemistry coming out the wazoo. And, you know, initially when Dean brought Blake, that was the way it was. But as things unfolded and, and Blake became the boss, it became harder for me to, to find a role that was uh, where I was really producing for him. And mm-hmm. it's... It got off the rails, but that being said, uh, you're not going to find a classier human being. Uh, I also, I made the comment that I, I knew part of my job was to mentor Glenn Murray and Nelson Emerson into their roles as they develop. And again, you know, I think Nelson Emerson could be the nicest human being in hockey. Glenn Murray is an incredible human. These guys are classic. Like the, the, For me, how humbled I was to sit with these NHL stars who now they're my friends and listen to their stories. Like I could... I could sit there and tell them a story about what it's like to play Division One in Bremerhaven, <laughs> but it's a little different to sit back with guys, to sit with guys that have gone through it and the, and listen to their stories and how it's it kind of they're the same kind of things. They're just at such another magnitude of level, and and the friendship that those guys have is so unique. And I and I I guess at least it was kind of 
I, I went back and was sitting there the other day. She talked with our first Stanley Cup. I mean, we were going over who was going to get their day with the cup. And I remember we're all of a sudden sitting there and they bring the Stanley Cup and kind of put it in the room. And I look at Yank and I go, is they trying to tell us this is our day with the cup? Like, we're going to sit here at a table and look at this thing? Like, we're not actually getting a day with the cup? And Yank and I took off down the road in uh, to Dean's room. And I think Dean probably had this non-smoking sign up, paid his $3,000 fine and was on his third pack of darts. And we like, Dean, <laughs> we're, get, we're, we're getting a day with the cup. Like, we, are, we have put in all the work uh, as a staff, these guys, we need to be, it's not just like Matthew Perry. I know he was great on friends, but he's not getting my day with the cup. And no. we're going over this stuff. And it was, and that was the way it was cut. And nobody was doing it selfishly, I think, but nobody had been through the process to know you, you only have so many days and there were people eating it up with, you know, actors and actresses and stuff like that, which was great for the Los Angeles. But we went to bat and, and Dean got found a way to get the extra days. And I mean, I remember, fighting to get Nelson Emerson his day with the cup. And it was amazing because I ended up going to Nelly's that day to watch him come in. I think he was on a float or a parade in his hometown. And that's where I met Rob Blake. So I know where my loyalty uh, to the Kings is, was, and always will be. And I think that's probably the hardest part when your loyalty is questioned uh, to an organization because you've gone and interviewed at another place. I don't necessarily think that's a fair analysis because if you look back at my, first of all, when you leave an organization, there's probably 10 or 11 people still employed there that I was responsible for bringing in. Mm -hmm. And you always bring in the best. You bring in the best people who are going to make you better, make the organization better. And, and there's people there that, that, that know it. And I think that's when, when you get let go, you start to think about, um, you start to think when those calls start to come in, how much you meant to them uh, and how much, they you've helped their careers grow and the players they call and the you know i guess berkey calls it the pity calls whatever he called pity parties or whatever but <laughs> it's 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 incredible and i said and he just so he describes it best because he called right away and in old berkey passion he's like you're going to get three thousand phone calls telling you you're awesome and you're going to be okay and then you're going to get so pissed off that there's just too many too many and then they're going to stop and you're going to go why is nobody calling me? <laughs> and it's a horrible feeling. And, and there's silence. And then it's, uh, but throughout the whole process, I mean, again, it, that's, it gives you a chance to reminisce. It's allowed me to, to spend some incredible time with my mom and dad uh, like, uh, and my sister, Lori. I mean, it's been it, that part of it, but it's tough. It is tough. And there are some great times, great times that we're had. And again, it's that chomping at the bit to start new, uh, to start new memories and stuff like that. And even down to the last second, I will tell you, like, you, like, I was like, I wanted to deliver for Rob Blake and the Los Angeles Kings. And I wanted, and if my swan song, I wanted to deliver that left shot defenseman uh, that was going to fill that box, right? And you don't get sick and, and stressed out with, like, from lack of travel. I think some of the surgeries that I had over the last couple of years is because that I was flying back and forth to Russia like it was a commute down to you know, like I was going to the North end, I was going to Russia more than I was going to see my parents and my daughters. And, and that's because I wanted to deliver for the team. And, uh, and that's kind of, I wished, and, uh, and I wished my swan song was be able to say, here's this player or here is this insert name here. And if I'm moving on, at least, you know, that I was doing my best to make the things better right to the very end. Well, no reason to hang your head for sure. I mean, you look back over the, the resume, as you said earlier in your time in Los Angeles, and there's a lot to cover here. And I, hopefully we're going to get into a lot more of it more towards the beginning and talk about Dean and Yank and, and a bunch of guys. But I, I, I want to touch on the pity party there for just a second. 
Was there anybody surprising, you know, that reached out to you? Because that's, that's really a common thing that happens at this time is you know who's going to call you. Your buddies are going to call you. I mean, you know that Dean's going to call. But who, who, who's someone that kind of came out of the woodwork and you were like, wow, I didn't expect to hear from that guy? Um, I think it was some of the people from the business side that called me that would catch me, would have kept me off guard. That mm-hmm. there were people that, like, I kind of, part of the, when Luke came out, there was like this, there was this imaginary line between hockey and business mm-hmm. that we were never crossing with Dean. And, and you mean the officers came in and there were people now on the other side that I had gone across. And I think the fact that they were calling, like, I mean, I call them my uh, dream team there with, uh, Dominic to and Dutz and, and Eva and stuff like that. I mean, those people, I guess that said, thank you. You always made us feel, uh, my little guy, it's going to kill me that I forgot his name, but my, my favorite little guy from the, um, oh, geez, the guy from the black and white episodes that does all the filming. He's the most, like, this guy, we used to do those black and white episodes and just laugh and laugh and joke and laugh. And I mean, those are the calls I think that kind of caught me off. Wow. I mean, you've made an impact on those people who aren't the hockey side of things are pretty special. And I mean, the, and the all-star call for me, because as bitter as I was, and I said, this came from Dan Beckerman, who, um, as much as it was, uh, I was sour and pained by the, the initial call, we just talked. And it wasn't, at no point was it questioning the decision that was made. Cause that's not his job to do. It was just reminiscing about, so what we had done from the Dean days and, and really him putting a lot into perspective for me that this is about what AEG was going through in a pandemic and how, you know, the, the real, the real world was being affected. And that call, I thought I was going to get five minutes and I think it went an hour and it could have gone. And it was, and I think it was the best phone call that I've had in my history of hockey, uh, as far as just feeling, just healing, healing what was really, an open wound and it was the same day. Uh, and, uh, and it was great. And I, and it put a lot of things into perspective for me. And I, again, if you're not a competitive, I mean, you, nobody wants things to end like that. And I'm very, very competitive. And, uh, and it was just, again, that call kind of just engulfed everything. And I, I really felt, we always say whatever, we are all Kings. And I felt that that brand had been damaged. It wasn't. And, and he really tidied that up. He really tidied that up for me in a first-class way. Mike, um, you've affected a lot of players in a positive way over the years. And uh, Mark Giordano, obviously, your your famous story about when you came in and uh, Dean put you in front of the room where you had to introduce yourself and make the case for Wayne Simmons. Uh, is there one player that stands out above all that's your favorite at this point? No, uh, because there's too many and you'd be cheating it. But I mean, those two, I think are the, I think three players kind of would define my hockey. It, it would be Bobby Ryan because in junior hockey, I had to take a shot at rebuilding a program in Owen Sound by, you know, drafting an American player, which was unheard of in Owen Sound, whose father was in prison. And it was a, there were a lot of different factors. So, and Bobby and I became, I mean, he kind of redefined that whole organization and changed the culture there. And, uh, and then you get injured. I mean, you can't really say fair because Mark Giordano for me, it'd be easy to say, cause there's some guys that don't play in the national hockey league that have had such an incredible meaningful role in your life as well. that You wouldn't know their names, but I mean, Mark Giordano would come from single a hockey and sit across from me. And I'd always joke. I mean, he, was, he looked like, uh, he was built like an Academy award. He looked like he belonged at the beach <laughs> with a boom box playing, you know, like with Sega beach with all his Italian buddies and, and this guy just reformed his body, and he's always the leader he was. And all of a sudden, you've got a guy that's never been drafted anywhere, in the, anywhere still. 
he wasn't drafted in junior hockey, the NHL, and now he wins the Norris Trophy. And he's also, I think, I think one of the coolest things was well, Justin Williams has become one of my closest friends in hockey. But I, you guys will be able to. I think it was the, there's a there's an award that's for the best. It's, 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 I'm not probably not going to define it properly, but it was the best person away from the rank as far as charity and what they do for work. And three finalists were Mark Giordano, Wayne Simmons, and Justin Williams. And I think that was one of the most proud mm-hmm. moments for me right. because it not only defines what they do on the ice. I mean, he put Wayne Simmons, and I told this, I was, I went into his, there was no electricity in his house. There was no light on. Uh, I was sitting across from his parents talking him out of, uh, maybe that's why Blakey, I talked him out of going to Bowling Green. Maybe that's what happened. But <laughs> the truth says, now finally comes out. <laughs> that's it. Simmer was going to Bowling, Simmer was going to Bowling, and I talked him out, and he had to trust me. And I talked, and his brother couldn't play football because he couldn't afford equipment, and it's a true story. And I, he had to put his faith in me, and he came up to Owen Sound, and then I'm leaving Owen Sound uh, to come to Los Angeles, and he's looking at me like, you've deserted me. And then, I mean, I don't want to, this story takes too long, but you guys know it. I mean, Dean, Dean we, here's a guy that I had to tell Wayne Simmons we were inviting him to training camp or taking him in the seventh round. We end up taking him in the second round, and now the kid's an NHL all-star. And, I mean, I've seen the story where he calls me, and he's got all his checks piled on his bed, right? Uh, on his bed because he doesn't know I cash checks. Like he just hadn't, this was a guy that had like $5 in his bank account on down. Now he's got a bunch of pro checks on his nightstand and he's got to get used to this king and open up a bank account. He doesn't know how to look after this much money. I mean, and he's such a wonderful, he's just a wonderful human being. And that's, I think those are the ones you take the pride in. I mean, I got a text yesterday from Curtis McDermott that brought a tear to my eye. Um, and, and those are, those are, I mean, but they're endless. I mean, right. they're endless. And so you could go again, I know we, and if I don't have a job, you probably can't get me on more than once, but there's so many great, <laughs> there's so many great players. And I mean, they're not all people again, like my relationship with, and I think that was part of what Dean found unique as well, is that I was forging relationships with like Jared Stoll, Matt Green, like guys that I didn't have, I didn't draft. Right. But right. we were, there was a, such a, like Justin Williams would come into my office and just want to know about, how we, how do you do guys? How do you guys do this? Like, how do you the draft and just questions about the other side of hockey? And, and I became like, never crossed the line. Like they're not coming to my office pissed off about power play time or, you know, Daryl, Daryl's yelling at me or this is the, it was never anything like that. It was, my door was open and Dean loved that. He loved that that was going on. And then as you evolve, I said under Blakey, it was, it was different. And he's, you know, Blakey's kind of learning on the fly and he's developing his own MO as a general manager and trying out different things that have to work for him and the culture he wants to set. And in that part of things is different. And so again, it's neither right, right nor wrong. It's the way that he wanted things done under his regime. So, so, yeah, so Foots, I have, have to, for it. I have to ask, did you ever tell any of those guys when they came into your office, did you ever answer them the way that you once answered me? I don't know if I've ever uh, reminded you of this, but one time I asked you uh, to, to, to confirm some information that I had. And uh, this was this was one of my early introductions to you. Do you remember what you said to me at the time? I'm sure you don't. <laughs> you said, Go ahead, man. You said, you said, why the hell would I tell you? <laughs> I, well, there you go. I, that's exactly you what go. it was. You, you, you just stared that, me down and said, why the hell would I tell you? <laughs> well, well, I find that very unique because for 13 years, I was told I'm never allowed to talk to you. And now... <laughs> And now all these, all these guys, we're talking about evolution. Okay, no way. You got Blakey on. You got, you, you got a seat at the table. Okay. That's why now when I come down the elevator during games and I turn right and see you two sneaky buggers sitting there on the right, I have to 
run in the other direction. <laughs> You're the only person that will never stop place. and say hi to us. Right. Jeff Solomon, who is scared to death of us, even he stops and says hi, but you hightail it. You get off the elevator and go into a full sprint so that there could be no possibility of anybody ever seeing you say hi to us, I think. Well, there are two reasons Jeff Solomon stopped and talked to you. But one, you're either, you guys must be eating because <laughs> does he stop to have food with you? Is that something he does? I've heard the whole... Blakey told, Blakey told the briefcase story yesterday, but oh my goodness, there's a gentleman all together. If you get him on, oh. you know what the problem oh, is. You know what the problem it. is with trying to get Sully on. Nobody will give me his phone number. It's like the best kept secret in hockey. I can get anybody's phone number. It's like that six degrees of Kevin Bacon type thing or whatever. If I just contact enough people, I can you know usually figure out what I need, who right. who to get to the right person or how well, to get to the right person. Well, I can't I, get I, Sully's number. Well, I, well, I think when we end this podcast, I will just announce it publicly. Can you just text it to I'll me? Well, I mean, I'll, no, you can... I'm just going to say it because maybe there's some of your viewers want to call him as well. <laughs> maybe that's what's in his briefcase. Maybe it's, it's a maybe list of phone numbers. Maybe some of your viewers want to call him as well. Well, you know why he won't come on? Because you, you don't pay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get, we'll get a sponsor. He likes pizza, right? So why don't we get a pizza sponsor yeah. and we'll give him like a $100 gift card to, I don't know, Roundtable yeah. or Domino's or whatever he likes. <laughs> Oh, by the by, the end of this discussion, you guys will all be making less money. He'll be making more. <laughs> It'll be he's got a he's got a magical art. He'll have a magical art like that. And I always I joke because it's like because he's tried, I heard about this seat at the table that everybody's talking about, uh, and I'm thinking about a guy like Yank because if Yank, Yank could sit at that table, because those guys would need to Google half the words. <laughs> It'd be unbelievable. See, now, you didn't find it funny when I, I brought this up to you a couple months ago that um, I always thought that Yank's favorite word was the F word, and, and you almost seemed to be offended by that. <laughs> by Yank? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, you guys have your little game there where you guys make up, you know, you talk about guys' nicknames. Like yeah. I've heard, you know, I've... So you I've listen to the show is what you're telling us. Hammer. I have, I, on my, so I've listened to the show with uh, Nelson Emerson and Rob Blake in its entirety. I was not, uh, I did not, first of all, it wasn't being disparaging towards you. I just didn't know how to get on the internet. I remember calling Dennis. I get on, I very have a very short, uh, very short patience when I'm trying to get on. And I remember seeing DB and I said, I got to try and get on this thing. It sounds like you guys are having fun. And it took me 10 minutes to try and get on. I said, screw it. I'm like, I can't get on. <laughs> okay. So I finally found out now that I have all this time on my hands, I figured out how to get on and listen to you. And yes, I listened to, your Nelson Emerson show, and I listen to your Rob Blake show. So, your 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 nickname thing is funny because on two fronts. One because when I my nickname was Fute, and then when I crossed the border, Dean Lombardi dropped the U and turned it into O, and so I became Fute instead of Fute. And Yanetti, I find it incre incredibly funny because everybody thinks his nickname is Yank. Now. His nickname, which he refers himself to, you actually use now, Mayor, because he's always just referred to himself as the smartest man in hockey. So is that true? That, oh, I did not know. I've we, I, I thought we, I came we, up with that we, moniker. So he's been using this for no, years. I'm stealing somebody else's material. That's how, that, that's how he starts meeting. He stands up and goes, "Okay, I, I am the smartest man in hockey." And, he, and Come it, on. It's actually, he'll say, "He goes, we're going to have this great discussion." Uh, and we're going to get everybody in order and make our team list, and then we're going to use my list. He's <laughs> <laughs> the smartest man in hockey. That, there is no way that is true because he truly values 
Tony Gasparini, Roots, uh, Brett McEwen, Chris, oh, no. Teddy, that, that, all I, those guys. I say, I say it, first of all, it's not the smartest man in hockey. It's the maddest man in hockey because <laughs> when he gets going, he drops his R's. That's right. But, <laughs> There's no doubt where he's from, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, well, we have, we go back and tell each other. Like, he invited me, first of all, I personally think one of Dean Lombardi's best decisions, and this is trying to be unselfish, is he took myself and Mark and threw us in a room and we had never met each other. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't be further different from one another as human beings. I mean, I actually pack clothes when I travel. I mean, he, uh, <laughs> I, sha- I, sha- I shave daily. Uh, it, it's a whole bunch of things. But we actually became best friends in the world. In the hockey, I, he's the best friend I have in hockey. And uh, on it, we went, and I'll tell you really quick, it's like as far as what kind of teammate I knew I was getting myself into um, was two quick ones. One was we were first trip we went to Europe. Um, I didn't know him that well, and he could easily he was you know he was basically went from the director of amateur scouting to the co-director, and he had every reason to be pissed off. And we just we hit it off. But I came out, and it was freezing rain, and I hit a patch of glass, and I must have Mary Lou Rhett and Triple Wendy went down my ass, and some scouts started to laugh. I remember lion like i almost could have gotten knocked on cold and yank looked at him and threatened their lives for laughing at the fact that i had fell and i was like oh boy this guy's got my back and it's a little story but that's just the way mark and eddie is and then i mean and then i go to his wedding and i mean he's got i mean first of all i'm going trying to find the place i'm married at the time and i'm asking people where leo minster is and I didn't know it was actually Lemon Fest. <laughs> so it took me forever to actually find the place because I couldn't speak Boston. And then I get there, and every table, every table's got a guy who's got a nickname like Vinny the Hat, Tony the Tub. Like everybody, everybody had to get out of jail to attend his wedding. And so, and it, was, it was classic. It was, it was a, it was a wonder what it said, what, what our relationship was all about. And again, we became best friends. And now this guy, you know, this is the guy that goes up and, and paint my daughter's faces at Halloween. And I mean, I think that was probably the hardest part is he was the first person to call me. And it was very emotional because we've kind of gone our different, like he'll always call, even though the so-so my job description changed, there isn't anything that we couldn't call each other about, whether it was, Fuse, I want you to come and, you know, I want you to come in, you got to inter- come in and interview uh, Dodge or Turf. You got to get in and interview these guys because of the chemistry we had developed along those lines and everything. Or I, I'd have guys, you know, from the amateur staff call me and say, you know, Yanks get Yanks getting under my skin and stuff like that. And I call them out. I mean, if we, we still had that chemistry to get to keep together, like, because you're family, we were family. And that was kind of, that staff has always been special. Um, and I mean, there's a broader staff of King's family that is incredible, but that amateur staff, we became so tight. And I think Yank and I just played off each other's strengths and weaknesses. And it was just so much fun, so much fun. So, there were, a f- there were a few times when, uh, from what I've heard, from what I've gathered, there have been more than a few times when things weren't always uh, in perfect harmony between the staff and, and Dean. Can, can you take us behind the curtain for a minute and tell us uh, about some of the more contentious moments? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. I'm just, uh, there's, certain, there's certain things that are like, I'm not, first of all, Dean and Bart, everybody has a different way of leading. And I said this yesterday, I don't mean this. Dean, Dean could walk into a, you could be celebrating a, you know, somebody's birthday party and he'll walk in and grab a stick of dynamite and throw it in and blow it up. <laughs> and he had this, he just had this way that when things were getting a little too acrimonious or happy, 
he would upset the cart and he would cause some, uh, he would cause some disturbances to keep you on your toes. And, and at the same time, when you're down on the dumps and the losing streak, he'd come in and be in this incredible, incredible mood. And I think that was the thing there was I had this relationship with Dean that however it worked out, we, we could, I could say stuff to Dean that nobody else could get away with. Uh, and, it was sarcastic all the time. They never crossed the line from a standpoint of um, like a, a disrespect towards your boss kind of thing. But I, I would just, I would get in his grill when we go back and forth hard on different things. And I think there were sometimes he would get on guys. Like he had this thing that he'd do. It was very contentious where he, we'd sit around, sit around a table and everybody had to stand up and tell a story like about, why they love being a king or it was like, I think it's an old Italian tradition or something that they all do it. And then at the end, somebody gets shot. The staff would get up and do it. And some people were very uncomfortable doing it. And those were the kind of things were just certain things that he would say things that, and people didn't have as thick skin as I did or whatever, that you'd have to go and you'd have to do some healing. Did you ever, especially when he had those nights, when he called them the 24 beer nights or whatever, where he'd stand up and he would say stuff. There was once, that I thought the entire amateur staff was left at the table in chalk outline. And I'm like, Yank had written this beautiful poem, which I mean, I don't want to get into, like, I know that doesn't make, that might hurt his image as the raw he-man, but he had written this beautiful poem about our entire staff and he read it. And I mean, there were, there are guys, you're crying at the table and Dean was like, well, that sucked. <laughs> we're like, right? And then he kind of made fun of it, and we're like, it was like Aww. brutal. And then everybody just kind of collapsed at the table, and I had to go around and, like, first of all, explain to him that the next day that I think we have eight vacancies on the amateur staff. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody simultaneously quit at dinner last night. Great. And then he got, I had to go about and he said, oh, no, what did I say? <laughs> here's the list of what you didn't say right <laughs> and, and that's a very short list and it was just but it was that's the way but he I mean he cared about these people so much i mean when you i mean no offense and this is this is not a, again a shot but when he always made sure that you had term left on your contract when and i think owners probably don't want to hear this but if somebody was getting let go they always had term um mm-hmm. so nobody was just left you know what i mean nobody was left mm-hmm. without some some wiggle room to get yourself. And that was just, I mean, he called us humps. Uh, but in, he, he said, that's one of the most, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how he thinks that's one of the best compliments <laughs> I could ever give somebody. But technically maybe in his world, that is a compliment, but it was, his mind was so evolving and brilliant. I mean, and as and I've said this, like I, I, you learn something every day. You went in that office from him about how organized and how deep he was. And at the same time, we got to a point, you know, I think it's everything. It's like some certain marriages. I mean, my, my, my marriage to the LA Kings ended, but even with Dean there again, we weren't getting along very well. Mm-hmm. And it was, whether it was, I think we were angry at each other one because we're sitting there looking at yelling at each other. How could we have stopped this? Right. Mm-hmm. How could we have stopped what happened with Slava Voynov? And, you know, how could we have stopped what happened with Mike Richards and, you know, and, and these things. And we're like, and we're beating ourselves up, but the reality is you couldn't stop those things. You know, those were, those were unforced errors, uh, non-hockey related decisions that put us in salary cap hell and probably prevented, prevented us from getting a couple more Stanley Cups. But we, we could, and then, I mean, for me, one of the things that I always got, I got ticked off on the boat is like, he did not want me doing anything. Like if you had a chance to be involved in a hockey Canada or any of those other, those other kind of 
mm-hmm. you know, whatever those, those non-NHL King-related things. And then I knew as soon as they nominated him to be on that Team USA hockey, we were going to be in trouble because he does nothing half-assed. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. he, he took that on as a full-time job on top of the fact that we were starting to flounder and, you know, we are dealing with Voynov, dealing with all these problems, and, uh, and all of a sudden you've got Dean taking on a Team USA team, and, and it was unbelievable. He'd be locked in that room till 2.30 at night preparing like it was, you know, the Olympics. He was going to outdo the Arruccioni-led Lake Placid U.S. team. And that's not a knock. That's just how he's all in when he's in and his attention to detail. But I, I was kind of like, I think we're probably getting a little distracted from the mess we got going here that we got to clean up because it's our job. Yeah. And, uh, and we had, we had, we got some, we had some tense moments. Um, and then when it happened, it was devastating. And I think we kind of went our separate ways. We needed to take a break. And then when this over the last probably six or seven months, we kind of reconnected a little bit. And then, since this has happened with me, I mean, he and Daryl Sutter have been like, like my two quickest phone calls to make and Brian Burke to help me get through it and prepare me for interviews. And just, you know, it, it's no pity party with Dean. Trust me. He doesn't, you're never going to get a pity from him, but Let's he's going to have you ready. And he, and he gets you ready to go. Like he gets you ready for those things. And he, and he also reminds you of why you are who you are in the game and, and, and what you've accomplished. And, and, that to me, that's a pretty cool compliment. But uh, that it's 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 it could just go forever because they're not anything. I don't think personal about it. It's like uh, it's just there's certain stories where the gruffness involved kind of picks some people off, and it's not a you got to have thick skin to be in a, any kind of setup. But you better have extra thick skin when you're around Dean. Let's go back to a happier time for just a moment. So it's the 2014 Stanley Cup Final, uh, Game Three yes. in New York. And immediate, from what I understand, following game three in New York, now the team's up 3 nothing. There's some other business to, to uh, another other business at play. Mike Stuthers is brought into New York for an interview for the job for the Manchester Monarchs. What do you remember about those meetings there in New York, uh, sort of the first introduction of Stutz to the rest of the organization? Well, it was not an early, like part of the thing, and again, this is like you're talking about happier times, acrimonious moments. As Dean had said, listen, I want you to take Lakey and, you know, this is all, and this is not any knock. It's all new. And I, I remember something. It pissed me off so much because I was at Lakey's uh, Hall of Fame induction, which he invited me. It was one of the most proud moments ever to be and just meet and be invited to his induction. And I, and I still, I told Ken Campbell, because I really like Ken Campbell, but I was asked a question about um, Lakey, and I said, Rob Blake was such a good player that he never even played a game in the American Hockey League. I remember sitting with Blakey in Manchester, and I said, "This is we were sitting that little, it looks like the little Muppet press box up in the corner there, yeah. watching the Monarchs." And I and he says, uh, "I said this is pretty cool, eh, American League." And he goes, "Dude, this is the first American League game I've ever been at." <laughs> Meaning that's how good he was like, yep. as a player. He didn't play in the minors. He never watched a minor league game. He's the general manager of this team. It's the first American League game he's ever been at. And I thought it just spoke volumes to what an incredible player he was. Mm-hmm. I think Campbell put it in some article, like I was saying, you know, he's never even been to an American Hockey League game. And I was, it, it was one of those things that just ticked me off and how media can twist little things, not saying that, but it was, it was taken out of context. Yep. Which was context is important. Incredible compliment and goes the other way. Mm-hmm. But I was part, basically, Blake, he hadn't gone through the process of hiring coaches. So I, we shortlisted a bunch of guys, and then I ran the interviews, and Blakey, 
Like he just asked questions and listened and, and it got down. I really got down to two or three and I told him, listen, I'm presenting this big redheaded, gray headed beef to you who was my coach in junior. He's one of my best friends in the game, but I, you've got to, I mean, I know, I know in my heart, this is the guy, but mm-hmm. I, and I'm not saying that, but you've got to make the decision you're comfortable with him. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, that's, he comes in and, he does his thing and he meets Blakey and, you know, obviously Blakey saw the same attributes that I already knew was going to be brought to the table. I thought at the time I really, uh, Stutsky had some guys that he was really comfortable with assistant coaches. And I wanted to make sure that Stutz knew away from the crowd that he wasn't going to be bringing those guys in. And it was no knock on who they were. Mm-hmm. It was that we felt we had to find somebody that offset his personality and his, because we, I didn't want to change anything about what he was going to bring to the table and at, simultaneously, Blakey and I, I think, I think it was through a friend of his in Colorado, um, and my, it was, it was Chris Height. And, uh, and I just said, wow, this is going to be the perfect fit. And I was in Guelph at the time and met with Heider, and he was all excited about it. And then Blakey met him, and I think that pairing was just phenomenal. They were just, they were just the perfect fit for each other. And, uh, you know, and, and then Dusty comes in and, Stutsy, Stutsy, but I told him, you better be ready. You can't be lip service on development. I mean, if it, when they start running these, uh, whatever you call them, the Navy Seals into the ice, uh, you know, you've got to be open to there's going to be days you're not going to be on the ice for practice and there's going to be development team in there. And that's the, it's not a, it's not, the, it's not up for debate. This is what Dean wants. And then to another level, uh, to another level, the way it was taken, I mean, our development team is best in the world. Uh, so it, it was pretty, it was pretty unique, but I mean, you, you, I mean, you guys got to know this guy. This is a hockey lifer. Um, he's, uh, I mean, I've watched him, his daughters grew up in front of my eyes and Owen sound. I've seen, you know, a guy, I mean, you guys have famously told the stories about whatever. I think he fought Bell James, like something like 15 times in a seven game series or something. Mm-hmm. But this guy has got a heart of gold and he's, uh, and his players love him. And, uh, and because he puts it right between the eyes, he puts it right between the eyes. And I think part of it too is he, he, there was that great balance between uh, coaching them and also preparing them as men for the next level, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's in hockey or in the NHL level. So I, I know I know Mary, you thought you that's a that's a bone of contention with you that decision. Uh, it kind of it surprised me a little bit, but I also think there's a little bit the fact that it is, this is Blakey's this is his show, and I think there's a little bit you know me not being there anymore and Stutz is my guy that it's just evolving into his group, right? And that's, it's unfortunately that, that people fall to the wayside and Mike Southers is going to get a job coaching. But I just found with what he had brought to the table there, the timing of it, I did, I was a little surprised with, but you're not going to find a better human being and a better hockey guy than Mike Southers. I would agree with you there. Let's, let's dig in a little bit more on the interview process though, because it moves from, uh, being there in New York during the, during the Stanley cup final to then Stutz is invited to, uh, again, from what I understand, so you can confirm or deny this. Uh, Stutz was invited to hang out with you guys or interview uh, at the draft, which just so happened to be in Philadelphia. <laughs> he was still living in New Jersey at the time because uh, he had recently been let go from the Flyers, uh, if I remember yeah, correctly. Well, I know this is a funny. I don't know if this is where you're going with it. But anyway, Mike Donnelly is at the table. And I guess somehow, um, so Mike's like, Here's that Stutz is up for the draw. Like, I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but I'll tell you this story anyway. So Mike Donnelly's basically prepared everybody at dinner that Mike Stutters is a prick. You know, this guy, <laughs> this guy somehow in a brawl in the minor leagues or something, 
duct tape Mel out of a, pot, a pack and beat the tar out of him. <laughs> and Mike Donnelly was just sour, like, to know, this guy's really going to come and eat with us? This guy's going to come and, are you kidding me? And then, so we're all sitting there at dinner, and all of a sudden, you know, whatever, the Undertaker's music plays, and in comes Mike's feathers. And, and, and he sits down, and he has to sit straight down beside Mike Donnelly. And by the end of the, and the such, he's got a big smile. Oh, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> And by the end of dinner, Mike Donnelly is like, you would have thought it was like the, you know, that, that, that cartoon where the big dog's got the little dog yapping around it. Like we were best friends in the world. It was hilarious. (laughs) Like Mike, I think the next morning I came into the Marriott and Mike Donnelly and Mike Feathers were having breakfast together. So he's quite an engaging fellow along that line. But I mean, it was a pretty fun story at dinner as such. He sat down, sat down with our crew. I've also heard that there were some interesting stories in the um, hotel room where the final list of the draft was being put together, perhaps, and Dean may have asked Stutz for his opinion on a particular player. Does that ring a bell? <laughs> Go ahead. I, I Just refresh me. There are so many different stories about Dean refreshing guys that ask him about certain players. Yeah, well, here's, so here's a guy who's interviewing for a job, so he's just probably trying to stand in the corner and, you know, uh, mind his own business, and, you know, not knock the lamp over or something. And, uh, you know, Dean, Dean ends up asking him a question about a particular player, and, and Stutz probably had something positive to say about that player because uh, he had coached him, and Dean tried to call him out for it from what I was told, and that Dean said something along the lines of, oh, you just like the guy because you coached him? Uh, to which, of course, I'm sure Stutzy had some eloquent reply. Thanks, Stutzy. Yeah, Stutzy might have bombed him right out of the room. That <laughs> yeah. one. Like, but, it, but, I mean, there are so many different things. Like, I remember my first meeting, like, at the draft, and it was clear that Dean, there were different opinions about who he should take. And I was told I was only allowed to talk about guys in Ontario. So we must have watched, uh, and I didn't say we were vibing it, but we're in this meeting, and there's, like, 30 guys. And we must have watched. 18 Thomas Hickey videos and I'm like I wonder who we're taking <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and I'm like being quiet so I, and all of a sudden we come to a vote and I was kind of like I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to get shot but I was like shouldn't the, just the guys that have seen him be voting on this and then by the time the end of the vote I think the guy that delivered room service got a vote in for Thomas Hickey too <laughs> I just found it remotely unique. I found it remotely unique. How like everybody's like got their hand up, and then that's actually where I got my. That was one of my first because I was asked, "Okay, here you go. Here, you, and this way, Dean would just throw it out. Uh, if uh, Brian Cameron there, Brian Cameron and Wayne Simmons are sitting there in the second round, who we taking? And he puts right at me, and I go, Wayne Simmons. And then I think Nick Bobrov left the room and never talked to me for fourteen years. But. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those, it was just, it, those, those meetings are so unique because I mean, when I ran junior draft meetings, I mean, you got a flip chart and you got your, you know, I got my old teaching thing out with my little, you're writing down letters, your scouts are saying stuff like I can't play, you know, little sound bites. And then you go into these NHL meetings and it's like, Oh my God, like it's, it's the level of preparation and video. And, and now with the analytics, it was just mind boggling. And you had to, you had to be on your toes because, if he ever caught you, uh, it was like, you know, when you're in a classroom and mm-hmm. you're just trying to hide from the teacher because you don't want, you know, you, it's so with Dean, I always found you're better off to say what's on your mind. And mm-hmm. cause now you're, you're, you're refract, you're, you're, first of all, if you're asking questions or giving your opinion, you're, you're on your toes and you're being honest. 
as opposed to hiding in the back of the seat and then, you know, being asked a question that maybe you were daydreaming at. I mean, I remember we had one meeting that went so long. Um, and I mean, I don't, cause it's going to sound bad because the gentleman's passed away, but I was in there. Bob Crocker was sound asleep, snoring. And Tony Gasparini was nodding off and I'm like, Oh my God, I just met Tony. But if I don't wake him up and Dean asked the question, someone's going to die here because <laughs> the lights were all off. And then I went over and somebody put, somebody was putting a thing under Crocs to make sure he was still, cause he was still out like the light. Now we put the lights on. At least Tony woke up and the lights came on. Crocs is still sound asleep. <laughs> and we're like, I'm like, Oh my geez. <laughs> but that's how long the meetings would go. So, you know, there were, there was no hours put on that. I, and I, it came to that down where we'd say, you know, you got to work smart, hard. Cause if you're too tired, your mind's not working and functioning. But some of those, those, those things with, uh, I, I mean, Yank could take it cause I don't think he sleeps and uh, like whatever, he'd have his 24 diet Cokes and three cheese pizzas and then he'd be ready to go. That's why he doesn't ever need to pack clothes because he's just going to stay up for the entire trip. So it, it doesn't, you know, there's never a time to change from one suit to the other. <laughs> Mike, I got a question about, um, you were, and you mentioned the travel, you were the KHL Moscow Russian guy who would go over and see. Now, I question about the future direction of the team, in, in your opinion, right? We know all about what happened with Voinov. Kovalchuk didn't work out. Uh, Prokorkin probably going back to the K. Do you think going forward, Blake has the appetite to keep going back and looking at KHL as an asset uh, for the roster? Now you get respectfully that you got asked. I mean, you're asking me to speak on behalf of Blakey and I can't do that. I mean, I will say that my relationship there started because I was initially told, uh, well, all this stuff was going on with Slava. I mean, I was the last person to see Slava in prison with Dean Lombardi and, mm-hmm. uh, and John Stevens. And he, when he was the day before he was sent, uh, I think whatever, how, whatever the word was before he was sent back to Russia with his wife and, and child. And I, so I was the one that was put in target. You've got to keep this relationship alive. We don't know whether Slava is going to be an asset. We don't know where this is going. So my initial few trips were just basically go have dinner with Slava. Like I had a, like that, that's another one that's just sticks in my curl, whatever, because this is a, this is a great part. I don't care. So you ask any one of his teammates, he's a wonderful human being. And I'm so glad that he and his wife are, have their life sorted out together. And what a happy father they are. Cause it's that, that story has been painted and always leaves with an ugly case, but it's, actually got a real happy ending, but long story, I, I'd go over and I'd nurture that relationship. And I, I had Slava. We thought at one point, like I had Luke, we, we, we thought he was coming back. And I think they, they probably did some internal, some internal case studies on how is this going to go over with your fan base? And, and it, it didn't go over well. It wasn't mm-hmm. going to be a pretty picture that was going to come back. Uh, and, and it, I just found it was a little bit hit because there was other players that had done things that, you know, that were still playing and stuff like that. But I, I'm not going to get myself in trouble going down that path. Sure. But anyway, so I'm there and I basically got to meet, so I'd go to games and sit in the box and I got to meet all the interior generals, so to speak, in the KHL. So I would go over and kind of have a, it was, it was, this was before we, before we brought on, um, before we brought on Yuri to, uh, you know, so I had this unique relationship getting over there and I had, uh, just before Dean was like, oh, the guy that I was trying to push to get over was Dadnov. And I'd, I'd go over and go out for dinner with Dadnov and, and, uh, and Slava. And, uh, and at the time, he was, a, he was a free agent, and he was the one that I'd come back saying we, we needed and wanted because we were trying to find some offense. 
And it, it, financially, it didn't make sense. I think the guy with the briefcase might have taken down a few million. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, he ended up going, and, he, and, and it worked out well. But I had that that whole group over there, and I and I, I had met Kobolchuk, and then uh, obviously there was a couple players that I was that I was looking forward to, uh, hopefully moving forward in the future. But I, it was just it was a unique experience. But I I, I can only imagine like. Blakey, who's obviously the Hall of Fame career, he's got to he's got to be comfortable with that. Todd's got to be. I don't think you can ever just paint yourself out of a corner because it's mm-hmm. a whatever. If you're if hypothetically if if you're if Yank's got a list in front of them this year and they're picking number two, and Tarasenko is there at number two, I right. think you almost have to look. You have to look at it each on a, an individual case study. I, you know what I mean? Because there's so many great stories about you know look at Panarin. You know look at you know, look at like we don't win those cups without Slava Voinov. So I mean, we can sure. we can beat up the way the story ends, but I don't think you can just take one nationality and say because this didn't work out. Like Kobe's was a tough situation. He's a whatever a thirty six year old that was coming over. He had no interest and in, he wanted to win. He wanted to be a Los Angeles King, uh, but he wasn't changing the way he played, right? And that's more of a uh, looking at us internally that, that we were expecting to get out of him uh, than the nationality of the person. Uh, that you're talking about because I, I and I don't think Blakey would ever do that that you'd pigeonhole now I think if you because you're going to find North American guys with character flaws or, or stubbornness as well I mean I think in general we've had great success and I know he's had great I mean there's a different like Blakey's had some great Swedish teammates right and Christian Rucci's got incredible dial into the Finnish, Finnish players and I mean it, I don't think you'll ever you'll do that because there's just too many talented players but you you just have to know what you're getting from a from the standpoint of the, you know, the character of the player and what stage of their career you're at. I think the younger player uh, that you're drafting, like I met the Romanov kid from Montreal. When you meet these kids, like big smile on their face. If you think the, the, the biggest thing for some of them, like I think of a guy like Prokork and they come over when he's supposed to, and you can develop them and nurture them in your culture from when like their draft year, um, where it gets into a problem is when they vanish for five years and then they come over when they're right. NHL ready and, and they're kind of, they don't get that, they don't know what the LA culture is all about and, and what we've tried to establish and they're just coming in, you know, with this is the way we did it in Russia. And you get behind the eight ball when you get an older player who's set in his ways as opposed to a younger player that kind of inbreds itself as part of your culture. So given the breadth and depth of your contacts and relationships in Russia, if a call came in from the KHL, would you consider it? Well, there has been one but it's not something I would really want to consider at this stage. And it's not, uh, I don't even want to go down that path really. And it's not a knock. I mean, I've got three young daughters. I right, mean, right, here's here's yeah. the answer. Dennis. If we're, if, if, if we get back to real world hockey, uh, real world general, and I don't, I haven't been called and I'm not sitting in an NHL room with a the team then I've, I've got to look at it. At least okay. we, I, I've got to look at an opportunity like that. But just in general, when you look at, I mean, I thought it's funny because I became really close friends with Igor Larionov, and I mean, I there's there's no, I mean, I never thought about I never played with him, but I mean, it's just a huge respect factor. So he was very helpful as well when I go over there, mm-hmm. just talking about the background of these players and 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 the knowledge uh, that that you can gain from somebody like just being in a room with guys like that. But I I just don't see it as a, it just don't see it as a venue that I would want to have to go down that. Just it's just too much travel. I mean, but I, I, as I said, if I don't have a job and somebody says you want some rubles or you want to make some rubles as opposed to 
the, the alternative unless, you know, you guys want to bring me on as a third on your podcast for huge dough. I think I'm going to be. Uh, We're saving uh, all of our money I to get Jeff Solomon on the show. So <laughs> sorry. I think I'm going to be. I think I'm going to find myself. Uh, I think I'm going to find myself an opportunity in the National Hockey League before I have to look at that. Venue. Fantastic. Futes or foots depends which one. But uh, hey, you've been very gracious with your time. Uh, but we're going to have to get a couple more stories on the record here before we let you run. Because next thing we know, you're going to have a job and then you'll be unavailable and somebody will tell you that you can't talk to us. So <laughs> back to Owen Sound for just a, a couple of quick minutes. Uh, you called Stutz after he was let go in Philly, I think. Um, you guys met in Toronto. Now, this was actually for the Owen Sound job, right? You guys, you talked on the phone a yep. couple times. Then you flew him into Owen yep. Sound. And then there, you guys take the two and a half hour car ride north to Owen Sound. What was that initial car ride like? Because you guys didn't know each other at this point. Well, I felt very safe. <laughs> <laughs> I knew if there was going to be any amount of, if, any, if anybody pulled me over, I was going to be well protected. You were. That's but true. I mean, again, you look at this guy, he looks like he's a monster. He's, uh, he's probably, he was clearly the most fit player on our team at Owen Sound. I mean, this guy, I used to laugh at like Bobby Ryan. If you ever saw, you've heard the stories about Bobby Ryan getting on the bike yep. next to Stutz. And like, <laughs> it was like, like Bobby's like, when you recruited me, I didn't think I was coming to the Tour de France. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, but it was just, but he was teaching these guys that you got to be in shape. You guys think you're in shape. Mike Martyriano, it was fierce, but it was funny because we didn't have like, we didn't have these high tech bikes. So you walked in and it was literally, the room was just surrounded and it was great because Scott was right in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. He was right in the middle of it. So, I mean, that first step, I mean, that first trip up was kind of quiet. I mean, we shared some stories, shared some laughs. You're always flying. There's numerous players, like people that you, oh, you know him? You know him too? Right. Like we, we didn't know. We actually grew up, we grew up like five minutes from each other in Etobicoke. No way. We, we, I, I, I never would have known. So there's just, uh, or as Mark and Eddie said, Etobicoke. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's, it's incredible to just how you know you're going to, you just know when you meet a good person, mm -hmm. like, and 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 then, and then you're going to get the stories, and you, you know, you see the war, you see, you know, you can see the war wounds, obviously, from the. I said he's got that that mug, kind of looks like Jerry Cheever's mask. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you got you got so many zippers from all of it. They, 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 he clearly, and then he starts telling the same thing, sharing stories about what it was like to be coached by Mike Keen and and the wars and the battles that he's been in, and 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 just the commonality. I mean, here I am calling Bobby Clark who was one of my, like, growing up, my sister's favorite hockey player, but, and I got Bobby Clark and Bill Barber on the other end of the line. I'm, like, pinching myself. Right. And, again, I, I said the one thing that one of the best process that you can ever have as a general manager is the, is the, is the coach hiring process because I think you learn about so much about other people and their thoughts and how they see the game and view the game, and that, for me, was incredible. And I said, I think my final guy was that I had Mike Southers, Jeff Ward, who now coaches the Calgary Flames, um, Scott Arneal, uh, Bill Armstrong, who's the assistant general manager of uh, the St. Louis Blues. These are the guys I was interviewing for the job and what I was learning. And for me, I always said I didn't want anybody. I didn't want yes guys to come in and, you know, call me the boss. I wanted people with NHL experience who were going to make me better. And it, and it ended up working out very well. And I was so happy because I, I had just signed a five-year extension. And I don't – I think the owners – they liked. They were convinced at the time that they liked the package of Putz and Stutz. They weren't sure about Stutz on his own because he's he's, he's a very bold personality. And if he wasn't going, 
he came in to be my, me, be his general manager. So it was going to be a sensitive thing bringing in a new general manager and having Stutz already, already in the coaching role. And he ended up getting that job with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, Grand Rapids right away. So I was really happy for him to get, get a pro job. So we never had to get a kind of readjust to a new general manager on the fly. And, you know, and obviously, I mean, he's done an incredible job with his pro, with his, his pro, uh, his pro coaching as well. So let me ask you a question then. If, if Stutz is such a great guy, why did you eventually ban him from going on recruiting trips with you when you were in Owen Sound? Uh, uh, car size. <laughs> what are you you're saying, oh, first of all, the most dangerous thing that I ever learned is never listen to your coach when you're talking about a player. Okay, because and that's where the generals just. I think in the NHL level, it's fair. I, Dean used to tell me, "You don't, you don't, you dare go down and say anything that, that we're talking about enough to Daryl, because Daryl loves enough, and he's never going to get off the, you know, that those kind of things." Where in, in junior hockey, I'll tell a quick story. It's, here I am. Uh, I've drafted Josh Bailey, who uh, who you might know is about to play his thousandth game in the National Hockey League. I draft him at night, nineteen in the first round. I think it is. And Bales comes in. He looks like the little guy from uh, Arthur E. Newman off Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. I think he looks about seven. He looks about seven years old. And he walks in, and here's Mike Stuthers again, walking around with the Undertaker music playing. And as the story, I, Josh Bailey, I guess that has this thing after the game. He comes in to address the team, and Josh Bailey had had only played about two shifts, and I guess he got dressed and ran around to see his buddy Luke Pither in Guelph. And when Seth came and saw the empty stall, oh boy. things didn't go that well for Josh Bailey at that moment. <laughs> so at the time, we were trying. We had a very good team, but we didn't have a goaltender. So I sent Stutz in the road, and we go in and we get this Anthony Guadagnolo. Who, no offense to Anthony Guadagnolo, wonderful kid. But I was not sold at the price we were going to have to pay to get Anthony Guadagnolo. But sure enough, on traveling scouting, going down to tackle into Windsor, Anthony Guadagnolo shuts us out, whatever, 53 pages. Like, Stutz, this, we got we to gotta have got to have got to have So... I end up having to trade. I trade Josh Bailey, who uh, to the Windsor Spitfires for Anthony Guadagnolo. Josh Bailey. The only thing keeping it from being the worst trade in the history of hockey was the fact that he made the NHL as a 19-year-old. <laughs> and Anthony Guadagnolo, after about two or three stuts, comes in and goes, "This guy can't do it." <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm literally doubled over at my desk. I'm doubled over at my desk. <laughs> That's he can't do it. <laughs> I am being I am being ridiculed throughout the entire hockey community yes. for trading a player because I listen to my coaching staff as opposed to doing what you're supposed to do as general manager is you give them the players mm-hmm. and then you let them live or die with their own lineups and their own thing. And it was a great learning curve, but we always joke that. So I don't know if that's the reason you said, but Betsy just I said you you coach them and I'll draft them. Yeah, no, I was told <laughs> that you couldn't. There. I was told that he was not allowed to go on the recruiting trips anymore because he would be too honest when the parents would ask questions like, you know, where their kid was going to play on the power play or whatever. And I, mean, I can already visualize what oh, Stutz no, he, would say. You know, he would, he would tell them oh, that. Oh, no, you can't. There, I, there's, there's no, there, yeah, there's no filter. I mean, there's no, right. It's like, you want to I've never met me, your I'm kid. I, don't, I can't I'm, tell you where he's going to play. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I mean, that's, we're, really, we're trying to recruit these guys. <laughs> Stop scaring them off. <laughs> I said, you can, you can tell them that once we get them drafted and we get them here. Stop scaring them away before we ever get them here. So, and again, it was, the, it was the personality that we had. It was the same thing. Like, I could hear him yelling through the door of my office. <laughs> sure. And then he'd come in with a big smile on his face and go, did you hear that? And I went, oh, I'm pretty sure they heard that in Dundalk. <laughs> like, that's like, 
45 minutes down the road, they heard what you just, but no, it, you, it, there is no, there's honesty, integrity, everything. And that's what, I mean, I think that's at the end of the day, when you, you hear with Mark Giordano and these guys talk about stuff as a coach and Sutter, like his chat, like, uh, Sutton, uh, on, with the rain. I mean, you get honesty, you get an mm-hmm. honest opinion, whether you like it or not, you get right between the eyes, but you also get praise. Uh, and you become a better human being. Uh, you become a better human being. And I mean, again, I think we all sit and dream and work about like being much is made about, you know, Blakey and getting a chance to run an NHL team with his best friends and stuff like that. I mean, I look at, like I look at the relationship that I have with Mark and Eddie. And I mean, I know that if I ever, you know, I mean, it'd be my dream if I ever was successful as a general manager for Mark, we talked about it. We've talked about it for seven or eight years, being able to work together and, and be able to, to run a team on like as partners doing that the way that it's a dream for everybody. And I mean, Mike Stuthers knows that if I, if I, if I find employment somewhere, there's not going to be very long before he finds employment somewhere. There's that bond in, uh, in what you feel about people as person and it's a comfort level. And it's not, it's not, again, it's not a, it's not because you're at the comfort zone. It's because they make you better and they make your organization better. And I, and again, it's, it's, it's pretty unique stuff. Pretty unique stuff, especially when you win when you win together. People know about the home runs. They know about the great stories and, and, and Kyle Clifford stories and uh, all of these different players. But th- there are some regrets. I mean, you just mentioned one of them there in the in the OHL. But what about at the NHL? Biggest draft regret? Hmm. I can't say it because he's still playing. Um, uh, how about this? Is there a well, player? The story, that, go ahead. The story gets. I mean, I. The, I think there was a there was a pick that we made that we really prided ourselves on knowing these players as people better, and I don't think we knew the person. We didn't know the person well enough. I mean, I'm not going to get into the name, but we didn't know the person well enough and, and the background on them as far as uh, just being all in from a work ethic standpoint. And they've ended up being very good pro, but not where not they were not where they were drafted. Um, I don't know. It's weird. It's there's not. I mean, I'm not. It's a challenging area, but there were not a lot of like huge, devastating. I mean, the Colton Tubert story kind of everybody, everybody kind of knows that that was not a good moment. But that was just. I think that was one of those things when when Dean kind of made that ruling. From that point on, he looked at Yank and I said, "That's never going to happen again. You guys, you guys do the work. I'm gonna, you know." I'm the one that's going to, uh, you know, you guys have done the work in the road. Don't, don't ever let me change the list again kind of thing. But everybody's got, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Skeleton. Who's, who's, who's the, for you guys, who's the highest pick? That, is there anybody that didn't? I, for me, it's Tubert. I, I would know. say probably. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I understand the hickey pick and you're talking about a player who played 500 games in the NHL. Um, for me, that's more about how the asset was used, you know, putting putting a player like that yeah. on waivers. That's That was a risky move that obviously didn't work out. But the Colton Tubert one is there. But, yeah. you know, I, I will say this. The one that always sort of has fascinated me and people tend to brush off and don't talk a lot about would probably be Christopher Gibson in 2011. Um, not that I'm a pro scout, but that kid was uh, drafted with the first selection that the team made in 2011, which was the second round pick that year. There wasn't a first round pick. And then he comes to development camp. And again, I know it's not the end of the world, but uh, watching that kid in development camp, I remember the very first day saying like, whoa, this kid was drafted in the second round. That's just, something's wrong here. I mean, it's easy. I'd rather you not get into points, but I mean, you said uh, that could have been the longest day of my life. And I'm not, this is one thing I will will say is that 
I have never been one to profess. Like we've tried to get that right for so long. Like I really struggle evaluating goaltenders mm-hmm. and I'm not washing my hands of it, but I had not really seen Gibson play, but there was a, we, you know, there was a, there was a, a God, I'm not going to get in it, but it was a bad, it wasn't a great pick. And I remember that day we were, we thought, I think Mary wasn't on the mini rank. I think. Yes. <laughs> Dean was not happy. Let's just put it that way. I swear to God. Well, all I know is I, I got this look from Dean going, get in my effing office right now. I think the score at that point was 18-17 and the shots were 19-18. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and then it got so bad. We put in a, there was an exhibition game. I think it got, we played an NHL exhibition team and then they scored something like four goals in the last two minutes to beat us. It's a, in the little uh, area there in our little practice. You know, we used to have the rookie games in our practice facility mm-hmm. there. Right. And I was like, wow. And that's when Dennis, that's when <laughs> I'm not going to speak, but I was told Mike, get your ass in my room. Bring bring this bring uh, this scout with me, and we got. <laughs> he already had up every report on the wall, like, uh, and, and I'm like, oh, it's accountability. Hey, it's everybody, and and I'm not because the bottom line is it is it, it falls on myself and Yank because we're running the staff, mm-hmm, right? right? So if you want the pats on the back when the players get home home runs hit then you better be ready to take the squarely kicking the stones when they don't work out. Mm-hmm. And that, I think the part of it's because you don't, it, it's an error. And it, it's a great example to say, because we didn't do the proper work on it. Right. Mm-hmm. We didn't see him enough. Uh, we saw an, I don't know, elite athlete that uh, really handled himself well. Like when you meet him outside of a job, but we didn't do our homework. And I'm not beating because I mean, I think there was another Gibson that went, yeah, it's been pretty good. Don't ask Daryl about him. Don't and ask. We, Dar- yeah, and, we, <laughs> and we, we got. I can always. I can always just say, hey, we just we typed in the wrong name. We wanted yeah. the other Gibson. You got the wrong Gibson. That's true. <laughs> and that would, and that would be. But it, and it's not not. He's a wonderful kid. But it's it's not a good. It's not a. It wasn't the best day in the history of Mike Feud and Mark Yannetti, um because we didn't. We didn't do the proper due diligence with our area guy on where this guy fit into things. Okay, so how about and, on the uh, flip side? How about a good story? How about in the most recent draft? From so for Fran, uh, for fans who don't know sort of how things work, and you can talk about the inner workings. But so after the first round of the draft every year, the staff gets together uh, in a hotel room or in back in the day in Dean's suite, you know, I don't know. With, uh, but the, the staff gets together and there's a lot of talk. Uh, and this, this past year, of course, there was a lot of talk because the Kings had already made two selections in the first round. And now there's a, I'm, I'm in the first round, excuse me. And now there's a, another selection being yep. made at the top of the second round. And people still don't know. The team, the staff still is having discussion about who are you going to take there? What, I think it's the 33rd pick uh, at the top of the second yep. round. And from what I've heard, you made a phone call to gather some intel. Can you share any insight into that? Well, that's why I think that's part of what my, like, and that's kind of where I felt that Lakey and I would be so much, I'd be more valuable than because I'm a very connected person in, in hockey. And my job is to not to make the final decision, but I'm the one that's supposed to get all this information. So he makes decisions better that he has a lot of information to make the final decision. And he's the boss not to make it. Right. And I, we were sitting there, and it was a structural thing. Yank and I had gone through the whole, like Yank had gone through all the different things. And in fairness, we'd have meetings outside just as Blakey and Nellie and I'd say, Yank, how do you want this to go? You know, how do you want, when this meeting ends, how do you want it to end? Like you've seen these guys. And I said, structurally, I looked at the list and 
again, it was the, it was kind of the Russian factor. Uh, Kaliev, where Yank and the boys had him on the, the list, was far ahead. Like we, you know, you probably Yank's probably blown away with the layers and the the kind of this. You, see, you got a player that's layers ahead of the guy we're debating. Uh, that who's the who the other guy that we were talking about at the time, and I just said to the guys that you you can't, you can't cheat your list. If that's that's not one player in that back to back on the list. That's that's a huge huge gap in player. And then there was some question about not so much, just more thing. And so I just got while everybody was talking, I just called Stevie Sales. I had his number on the phone, and I put he's the general manager of Hamilton at the time and he went on speakerphone and I think he put a lot of people at ease like he was there in LA that this, there's, we're not going to have any worries about this kid as far as his uh, you know there's some I mean still the training and the language it's not, it's not fair for a kid if you're here in North America that long you better learn the language so there were a lot of different things that we had to make sure that he was going to put in the work on just not in the gym but but you also knew that you were getting one of the most elite goal scorers in modern draft history mm-hmm. and uh and that was it. It was just, again, it wasn't, I'm not taking, hey, this is, this was Yanks draft this pick, but I just wanted them to understand that that's something we were always nurtured on under Dean. Don't cheat your list and, and do your homework. And here's another example of a guy that's going to put you at ease that you're not worried about the character of the kid you're getting. Like, this is not a bad teammate. This is not a guy that's a problem away from the rink. You don't have to, you know, we're still kind of licking our wounds a little bit from, from Kobe, uh, from, what's happened with the Russian factor. And, but we wanted to know that this is, this is not, this is a different, different scenario altogether. Let's end with the Dean story. Your last conversation with Dean, what was the takeaway? <laughs> well, the Dean still swears a lot. <laughs> uh, it was more, it was like, again, it's, he's got such a way of more, like he called me when he, you know, I guess he was driving, and I mean, I don't want this. Not, it's a personal story, but it's not. I'm not letting out. He, I guess, he was driving uh, from Philly or somewhere. He's driving up in Philly, and he had heard something along the lines of uh, what was going on in New Jersey or something that the ownership group was trying to buy the Mets or something. And he he was continually like, if he knew I was getting a Zoom interview, he would call and put me through. How did he call it? Uh, whatever, just. Okay, let's let's play act here. Okay, mock draft. Here's the question. Now you answer it, and then now to answer the question, he'd go, "Pretty good, pretty good. I like that." So like Dean that. was You're role playing with you prior, the que- prior to the prior to the interview interview prep. You're on. Let's go. <laughs> interview prep. Here's the question. You're going to get it. Here you go. How you know? And, and, and they're all good players. Like okay, it's like you guys are asking what's your biggest failure. Of course, of course, it's easy in an interview to tell everybody what a great job you've done but when you have to <laughs> critique yourself. It's, 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 and it's not, I think it's great. It's a great part of the industry. I mean, if you always look at the great picks you made, you're, you know, it's, it's the bad ones you've made too. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, Zika or the other one, Zika is another one. It's an absolute disaster. But it's, if you look at, uh, the positives, it's just, they'll look, they'll look, it's, I, I have a way of talking. It's a lot different than Dean, but I think there's an intelligence level that, um, it, I can relate. I can share these stories with these guys. And that was it. It was more, it's the same thing. I guess role playing would be the, although it's a bit of a sensitive term, I'd be careful how you use it. On a, <laughs> interview prep. We'll use that it, one it's instead. All, it's a better phrase. Let's use interview, interview prep. Okay? Yes. That's, I like that a lot. It's like, it's, right. it's like, no we're double like, I, the, I, did, I didn't get fired. 
I just didn't get renewed. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the, it's yes. That, two it's different things. Different ways you look at these things, and you feel good about that. You feel a little better about yourself. But no, that was it. And then, of course, when I said, "Listen, Dean, uh, I'm not going to get it," it was like I had to get. <laughs> he just comes right out. It's not a thing. He's like, you know what? Keep your uh, keep your mind in the game. It's like you're getting the motivation. It's like a it's not, but it's not like a pity. It's a you know how good you are at this. It's going to come. Stay hard. Dig in. There's no hockey right now. Don't get down. Don't start feeling sorry for yourself. You know, I, I if you uh, if anybody ever heard, there's it's, it's unfortunate. I wish it was on video. Dean Lombardi, the second cup, uh, the second Stanley Cup. We got our ring presentation. Um, after, I think it was at Staples. I don't know where it was, but. He gave a speech that I swear to God, I wish it was somebody should take it. And it was, I don't see, I don't think he looked down at the note once. Um, and it was just still, it rings. It, it, I wish somebody could get a hold of it because it should be, it'd be, it'd go to the Hall of Fame as one of the most motivational heart about where the team had come and where we have to get to. And I, unfortunately, shortly after, <laughs> I don't think everybody listened, but it was still the, the heart in, passion that went into speaking it's so easy to speak i think when you really truly believe what you're saying and you don't bullshit and you come from comes from the heart and you're passionate about it and i think that's for me it wraps it comes full circle that okay i'm done as a los angeles king um but don't ever question how much i loved and respected being a los angeles king or what i brought to the table or how many hours and and tireless travels that i put in making things successful and and I never I never once shortchanged the job. So that's kind of my I want my whatever your epitaph on your on your your hockey tombstone and thing is that I, I didn't cheat it. And I mean there was a lot of places I think from a health standpoint that I I, I probably let I let people down because I couldn't travel from some physical ailments that I had had with silly surgery and stuff with my neck, but it was never due to a lack of effort or because whatever it wasn't and uh and that's why i will look at that organization and and those banners forever and think that you know what i i i feel like i'm a los angeles king um for life and we'll start hopefully start a new chapter but those people are so special and the memories are so special and again and the way dan beckerman and i mean even and luke robitaille the way these guys wrapped it up and make you feel at the end that once you get the pain, I think once the next gig comes, you just feel better about life in general. And then it'll be easier to move on. But when there's no hockey being played and there's no opportunities to even interview for, that's when you kind of feel like you're, you're spinning your tires a bit, but I can only hope that better days ahead. And I, as I said, I think I've worked very hard to put myself in an opportunity to get hired somewhere else and bring what I bring to the table for them. Foots, we're an hour and 20 plus minutes into this. One of the longest guests we've ever had. I still have a hundred questions left. So we're going to have to book you back on the show. Better days are ahead. I'm confident. DB's confident. You're going to land on your feet. You will get a job. I just have to end with one final request then. I don't want to hear about Ken Campbell or Bob McKenzie or any of the other uh, godfathers of the hockey media. When you do get that other job, maybe now you can finally tell me something. So if you could let me break that scoop for you, I would really appreciate that. You know, um, for, for all of the grief that you've given me through the years with your, with your answers, uh, like why the hell would I tell you this, this would be, this would be good payback. So shoot me a text and let me know what, when, when it's going down. And, uh, we'll be happy to break that at mayor NHL on Twitter. We'll do that for you. Uh, you know what? That sounds great because 
I'll call you ahead of time because now that I know that you have a seat at the table, <laughs> I don't want to call you. And just, I I don't want I don't want to call and disturb you while you might be at the table. Okay. <laughs> you can call me anytime. Okay. It's not a problem. Okay. Sounds good. And Dennis, you're one of the all-time great beauty. Thank Absolute you, beauty. You're the best, Foots. We're going to miss it, but uh, we know better teams are coming, and you're going to land on your feet. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Be good. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Mike Fuda. That was amazing, DB. We're going to have to take a quick break and then come back for the third period and talk more about it. We're going to take a long break and come back for the third period. Yeah, that was amazing. So, yeah, but let's, uh, let's take a break and uh, reconvene for the third period. To the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Third period, welcome back, uh, DB. This is going to have to be a short third period because we just had uh, double, triple overtime. Maybe it was it was quadruple <laughs> overtime in the second period there, but that was amazing. It was TV time running. It was it running time. It was running time. <laughs> wow, that's a hockey guy, right? right? That's a hockey. That's a hockey life for Mike Fuda. So, and I, I think we're in lockstep here. He will be helping a team next season. He'll be in a, in a chair somewhere. Just the pandemic doesn't allow too much interviews. He was close on the devil's job, but certainly um, he'll be somewhere, and he's going to really, his breadth and depth of his relationships. And, John, we talk about this off and on the air. It's all about relationships in life, and Mike has very strong ones, and so the relationships that he has will get him to the next gig. Yeah, I, you know, DB, um, I'm very proud of the uh, previous episode that we did a while back with Rob Blake. There were a lot of compliments that came yeah. in on that uh, text messages, direct messages, you know, tweets and stuff. To me, it all boils down to relationships. You have to it's know people. If you're going to have a conversation on Kings of the Podcast, it needs to be somebody that we either have known or we know enough about that we can carry a conversation. And uh, that's one of the things that, you know, also with uh, Trevor Lewis, Akil Thomas, yeah. Tony Granado, that was one of my, an episode I was really proud about. I love the Rob Scuderi episode that we did earlier in the season. Just yeah. all of these guys, you have to have a little bit of context and background to be able to have some conversations. I had about 100 and maybe yeah. 50 more questions to get <laughs> I to. Figured. I wanted to get into uh, the coaching days and the OHL and all sorts of stuff. But what, what just wonderful stories. And I think uh, hopefully the Kings fans that listen to, the, uh, listen to this show will really appreciate some of the behind the curtain stuff that he shared there uh, on a number of different people. Yeah. And look, with respect to relationships, mm-hmm. and you and I both know this, like for all the stuff that we do put out there and break, like 90% of the stuff that we're told, we can't use. We right. use it as background information. So the fact that we have these relationships tells us that people can trust us. And because it's a, you think it's a big universe, John, but it's not. I'm saving it all for my book. Exactly. I'm, at some point, I'm going to write <laughs> a book. You write the book. Uh, because I have a lot of stories, a lot of Dean stories also yeah. that I want to write about that uh, I have not shared. Um, so some of them are slowly leaking out. Like the Kyle Clifford one um, about... Uh, how he threatened the Atlanta, yes. <laughs> the, the, the scout or whatever from the GM of Atlanta at the time yeah. uh, because he didn't want to be drafted, drafted by the Thrashers and he wanted to come. I included that in a story that I did on Clifford a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, some of these other stories, you know, they're, they're slowly leaking out because as time goes on, people become more comfortable talking course, about them. Of course. Uh, so fascinating stuff. I mean, look, I don't think I could be wrong. I don't think that any of that stuff with Stuthers 
being interviewed during the Stanley Cup final. You and I were in New York at the time, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we were, right, I remember. We, we could have had lunch with Stutz at the time. We didn't know. Who's this big burly guy walking around with- Looks like a former hockey player. With huh? Mike Fuda. Uh, but it, fascinating to me to, to let some of these stories now come to life and, and breathe a little life into them for people that don't know some of the details of the inner workings of how people are hired, how people are met, yeah. or how they, how they meet, and uh, how their relationship um, develops. I mean, he talked about the relationship he has with Mark Unetti. Remember, Yannetti was in L.A. for a year before. Right. <laughs> he had the job. He was the director of amateur scouting. And then here comes Foots, and they became co-directors. There could have been a lot of angst between Yank and, and Foots. Well, which one, now, which one did he say? was? I need to get this right. It was Foots or Futes before. I'm going to have to go back and listen. It was Futes, and I think he added the ooh. Yeah, I, okay, because I've known him as Foots. But yeah. yes, other people, I guess it's Futes. Yeah. We'll get Dean on. We'll have to ask him for the origin of those things. And Dean was basically an amateur psychologist, right? And talking about throwing these two guys in a room together, yes. throwing Fuda in front of uh, the uh, the staff and saying, make the case for Wayne Simmons, who nobody heard of, and he left the room. Right. And Dean is an evil genius, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, he is an evil right? genius. Absolutely. He's a mad scientist. He, is he absolutely is a mad scientist. Absolutely. I also think, and I hope people picked up on it, that when we asked him um, about, when we asked uh, uh, Foots about his most recent conversation with Dean, did you notice the one thing he slipped in and then he pivoted off of it and started telling a whole different story about the, the, the job coaching for the job and stuff. Yeah. But no, it was about the Mets. Dean still yeah, wanted to talk baseball. about, he's worried about somebody buying the Mets. Exactly. There's nothing more Dean Lombardi than a good, Maybe Dean a, wants a in good on baseball that. reference. De oh my God. Dean Lombardi is the general manager of the New York Mets. Can you imagine? Then Coletti will give him a reference <laughs> oh, for sure. Be fantastic. He could bring Coletti in as his assistant GM. Exactly. You just reminded me. I do have Ned Coletti's phone number and uh, I don't say that to drop a, a, no. a, a no, but that I had talked to Ned about coming on and then the whole yeah. pandemic hit. Right. So you just reminded me, we need a book, Ned Coletti. Let's go. The problem is I'm just going to want to talk Dodgers the whole That's time. That's true, the whole thing. You can talk go. about the Sharks Same and all that stuff, but exactly. no, I want to talk about the Dodgers. <laughs> Ned will be like, why are they bringing me on a hockey podcast and talk about Eric Karros? This makes no sense. <laughs> oh, your favorite number 23, I forgot. <laughs> One of the most under... He is the Thomas Sandstrom of the LA Dodgers. He is, okay. The dude holds the LA Dodger home run <laughs> record. Right. Just think about you that. always remind that when I bring up Kirk Think Gibson. about that. Right. He yeah. holds the LA Dodger yeah. home run record. Yeah. Franchise. Record. And he's one of the most underappreciated players in franchise history. It's a travesty. You should walk into Dodger Stadium and people should be wearing 23 Karos jerseys. You should see those right alongside Fernando Valenzuela. Okay. Deal with it. All right. Who cares about the Dodgers and this whole uh, you don't like this designated hitter nonsense? DB, the episode's too long. People are going to tune out soon. And we're a top 10 podcast now on, on yeah. Apple. So yeah. we need to go, folks. Uh, we will be back at some point soon with another episode. Thank you for listening to Kings of the Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.
Chesterbrook Academy Preschool is ready to welcome your child into the classroom with a curriculum that challenges and inspires students, a daily routine that helps them thrive, plenty of time to play with friends, and most important, enhanced safety measures to keep everybody safe. Preschool is possible at Chesterbrook Academy. Contact us today to schedule an open house appointment on Saturday, March 20th, or schedule a virtual information session. Visit ChesterbrookAcademy.com to find a preschool near you.